morning. Good morning. Can you tell me a bit more about you and about the organization you are working on? Okay. My name is Sophia Heyer. I'm the Gender and Social Inclusion Leader for the CGIAR Climate Change Agriculture and Food Security Program. So we are an inter-center program of the CGIAR. We have 15 member centers and we look at the, we pull together and um, kind of foster some global research around the um, climate change agriculture and food security programs in the global south, in the developing world, uh, in our four, five regions of focus, which are Latin America, East and West Africa, South and Southeast Asia. Uh, we look at climate smart agriculture, which as originally defined by the FAO, is an approach to agriculture that looks at promoting food security sustainably, helping smallholder farmers adapt to the effects of climate change, and also where it's feasible and uh, beneficial to decrease emissions that agriculture may produce in various aspects, either through livestock production or through planting practices or through use of machinery. Um, CCAFS has four major themes or uh, flagships, they're called. The first one is looking at policy and working with policymakers around climate smart agriculture issues. The second one is to look at CSA practices and options for smallholder farmers. And in that project, we're working across the globe in, in um, CSVs, we call them, climate smart villages in all of the regions. The third um, flagship is low emissions development in agriculture. And the fourth is climate support services. So that is climate information as well as um, financial support mechanisms such as index insurance. My role as gender and social inclusion leader is to work across these four flagships and, in the f and with the regional program leaders to integrate gender concerns and youth concerns into um, the design, the implementation, and the analysis of results of all of the research projects that we undertake across the region. And so it's partly a gender mainstreaming function. In other places, I may identify key gender issues in a region or in a sector, and then I may promote specific work or research in those particular areas. That, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah it's a very interesting job. <laughs> <laughs> Today we had the chance uh, to uh, to have you with the Climate Change team. Uh, could you just give us a, a, a quick overview of what you have talked about today? So, um, you know, CCAFS has been operating now for, I think, almost 10 years. We're in our second phase of, of progress. And we have really recently been starting to look to move beyond just ensuring that women are included in projects, you know, the gender equity approach, we're starting to look at what are the benefits for women and how can we empower both women and young people in these communities to actively um, participate in agricultural production that utilizes CSA practices as well as participate in household decision making around what practices are useful and what to implement and how the household can benefit, but also to participate in the policy processes at the community and national levels so that their concerns are recognized and that they are able to be active contributors. So in this particular project, we're looking in two countries, in Nicaragua and Guatemala, um, based on experience in other countries in the region, such as Colombia. And we work with villages. We take a climate smart village approach um, to uh, help them decide which 
practices in terms of perhaps water harvesting or irrigation or which crop varieties or um, food processing, uh, market gardening and so forth are suitable for them and will best will be what they want to use to improve their production and to increase their incomes. And when we look at women then, we want to make sure that women are also benefiting, that we're not just interacting with the men. Because in, in different regions, in different countries, in different parts of the world, often women and men will have different responsibilities in the household. They'll have different activities that they engage in in agriculture. They may have different pots of money that they have control over or that they have the decision-making authority over. And so you want to make sure that not just men's needs are being met, but that women's priorities are also included in the planning um, and that we measure the results for women as well. And so overall, that's what we want to do with this project. This, this Latin America project, we're calling in the Latin American region, will be the first project that integrates um, a tests more comprehensively and systematically a set of approaches um, adoption approaches and the results of this adoption within households, with women, with youth, and with different, um, with households at different socioeconomic levels. And in other words, you know, what technologies are good, what uh, methodologies are working, um, what aspects of CSA production are really um, having good effects, and what are the kinds of things that we want to replicate, possibly in other regions or possibly in other parts of the, of the Latin American region. So, um, so at the end of this project, there will be really a set of uh, applicable, locally applicable solution that can be yes. maybe scaled out. That's right. Uh, scaled up. Sorry. Scaled up. That's yeah. right. And we want to come out of this with a, a, um, a much more uh, significant, in-depth understanding of it of the um, benefits of these approaches, technologies, approaches, practices, seeds, so forth. What their benefits are for different households, different groups within the household, perhaps even different communities. And then what are we, we're also connecting this up into policy at the community and the national levels. And so we also want to learn um, what are the, the policy approaches, what are the policy mechanisms, and how can this be scaled up within a country or a region um, starting in Latin America, and maybe what are the lessons we learned to take it elsewhere. That, that sounds really passionate, like yeah. passionate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, let us take a step back, mm -hmm. and um, I want to ask you a really basic question. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between simple agriculture and climate smart agriculture, okay. right. and how using climate smart agriculture can uh, uh, benefit women, but uh, just be gender, I don't want to use sensitive, but have a gender lens, right. basically. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, climate smart agriculture is, is different in that its focus is supporting smallholder farmers to be able to cope with the, the challenges that cli climate change brings. So we're talking about weather variability and unpredictability. We're talking about increased droughts, or we're talking about increased floods, um, or we're talking about um, increased variation, you know, it'll be too rainy at one point in the growing season and then it may be too dry at another point in the growing season. Um, so a lot of what we, uh, Climate Smart Agriculture, looks at is drought resistance, drought resistant plants or better watering systems that will allow uh, farmers to deal with 
fluctuations in water availability, decreased evaporation processes, so or, or processes that decrease the amount of evaporation of water so that they're water conserving, um, pest-resistant varieties, drought-resistant varieties, or varieties that will also have increased nutrition. So there's a range of these factors that are involved in the, in the choice of or the offering of different options for um, farmers in Latin America. For example, uh, when I was in Cauca last year, the community showed me a new technology that they had, a new um, drip irrigation technology that uh, also increased the diversity of um, food available to the household. So it increased the diversity of the vegetables that the household was able to eat and to sell. And basically it was a number of pipes, polyurethane pipes, that were nailed up to the wall of the house under a shade uh, and they would drill holes at regular intervals in the pipe and they would plant their you know their small seedling in each of the holes and then there'd be a tiny rubber um, watering tube that was also um, following the length of the pipe so they found that much less water was used the vegetables uh, grew out of the sun and had a constant source of water and they uh, flourished really well and for very little money. And uh, so the, um, the nutrition levels of the household increased and uh, the diversity of their diet increased. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I, I maybe I just want a, a, a follow-up um, question because um, you mentioned that it was um, an initiative that uh, the the community shows you showed you sorry yeah uh, some of the ideas that they have and then uh, the question I have is really what is the um, the proportion of if I want to say traditional knowledge or local mm -hmm. knowledge that is included in this approach in this project well that is a very good question and it does vary from region to region and community and to community so for example in Kenya the work in some of the villages there builds very, very strongly on indigenous crops. And uh, in one village, they're working with a women's group and a youth group where they had have um, helped them develop a demonstration plot to test out the, the results of a variety of different kinds of crops, but also um, fish rearing uh, in a pond and, and mixed approaches to, to production agroforestry. And they have been finding that the indigenous varieties are hardier, um, they are um, less expensive, and they are um, being grown very successfully in the region, in the, in the area. And, and in fact, the, um, this particular approach to testing out a variety of species and approaches and so forth with a community, with the community organization, paired with a revolving credit scheme has really hugely increased the amount of money that's available to the community and they've really been making quite a good profit on the oh. proceeds of the sales. Mm -hmm. And so you do hear about climate smart agriculture being, you know, technology driven mm. and big tech, big private sectors, com uh, company, big companies coming in and, but it's not necessarily that way. And, and really the approach has to be something that's affordable to the farmer and you really need crops that are appropriate to their environment and to their landscape. And so, you know, the Climate Smart Village is, is viewed as a landscape kind of geographical entity as well as an agricultural business product um, enterprise. So there's, it has a number of different scopes that it takes on. 
right, thank you very much. Um, now, about more specifically about um, uh, the uh, Climate Smart Villages, mm. uh, can you tell us a bit more about what this approach means and, and um, how is it different from a regular village? Okay, now you have to understand I'm not the expert on this, um, but uh, a Climate Smart Village is kind of a pilot project mm. testing area for Climate Smart approaches. And we have been working in smaller groups with Climate Smart Agriculture, but the village is an opportunity to look at the larger community issues at scaling issues both in a community and outside of a community it looks at the entire landscape of the region that the village is located in so that affects the choice of technologies and practices and and the environmental management in the area um, and it's an approach in which you have a, a larger integrated kind of interaction between policy um, agriculture, technology, finance, all of that information. So it's a more it's a it's a platform to integrate all of those uh, um, components of the activity. How is this approach really transformative and empowering to men and women in in the area okay. where you work? Yeah. Um, so in general, you know, it's it's transformative when it is um, well when their production increases with not a, a great amount of added input required in terms of finances or, or fertilizer or other resources. And it's productive when, um, you know, we've been, I've seen uh, in the field, for example, where in a village that was not a climate smart village, they would label the farmer's field. So this is the climate smart approach field and this is not. And there would be a difference if there is a difference in, in production, if the corn is growing higher or if there's more of it or if it's healthier, then the other farmers will pick it up. So in that sense it's transformative because it builds on local, locally available resources. It combines a package of things, information, inputs, uh, financial support, and uh, research and, and knowledge to be able to pull it all together. For women, it's transformative in different ways if it does a few things, and this is where I can speak with more authority. So it's more it's more transformative when women participate in decision-making about agricultural production in the household, whether it's their own production or their husband's production. It's more transformative when women's income increases and they have control of assets and resources, including money, but also in terms of the inputs to agriculture and the proceeds of agriculture. So for example, um, women and men may have different plots of land. And often what happens is that the men's plot gets taken care of first. And then when that's done, then people go to the women's. Then the rest of the family can go to the women's plot. When women start to have a little more control over household labor or more perhaps equal representation in the allocation of household labor, then it's transformative. Um, when it decreases women's workload, it's transformative. Women's workload is very long, is very hard. Women have um, the household care activities, you know, child care, cooking, caring for members of the family as well as their outdoor productive activities. Uh, and they do work longer days than men in most parts of the world, in almost all regions of the world. The other, the other issues involved are that um, agricultural technologies for women tend to be unimproved technologies. And the fact they tend to be very, very old technologies. So they tend to be hand hoes 
or they tend to be pails to carry water in. They tend to be very, very out of date and non-ergonomic. For example, the African Union has recently initiated a program to eliminate the handheld hoe in Africa by the year 2025. And who uses the handheld hoe? It's the women, the women farmers. Uh, and in some cases, those agricultural implements have not been improved in like thousands of years. Right? You see them in museums. So there needs to be some improvement in that way so that women's workload is less onerous, it's less um, heavy on the body, uh, and it's more efficient. And so those are the, the three main areas that we look at for women. Is how can we transform women's lives that way? We want women to be in a position to make more decisions about their lives, their families' lives, and to participate equally with, with the men in their houses, households and communities around what's happening that will affect them and their future. And do you see um, any challenging challenges or in, in doing so? Uh, and but not only um, like that, that's in a on two sides. So first on this scaling up, uh, scaling up this approach, and second, I would say in uh, implementing uh, uh, socially and uh, uh, a social CSA. Mm. Do you see any challenging mm. challenges in doing that? Yeah, sure. So if I'll start with the scaling up. Um, there are challenges in terms of policy and challenges in terms in other ways as well. So the challenge in policy is I think what we're seeing is that at the national level, and CCAS has done research in there tends to be pretty good understanding of the gender issues in agricultural policy and governmental planning and so forth. There's an understanding of the role of women in agriculture that's pr fairly, fairly well developed. Very little understanding of the role of women in climate change or climate policy, what countries need to do to empower women in the face of climate, of climate change. So at the national level, we have that gap. Um, but at the local levels, the municipal levels, even kind of the subnational level, the understanding is much, much less. And so there's a real gap in knowledge about climate change in general, never mind some of the social implications around and gender implications around climate change in agriculture. So we have this knowledge gap um, that, you know, people understand exists. It's being addressed differently in different ways. Um, you know, in some countries, there, uh, the, was it Nicaragua or Guatemala? I can't remember which country has a CSA policy, a national CSA policy. So these are starting to come into place. Several countries have a gender and climate policy or gender and climate strategy in place in Latin America, in Africa. This is slowly starting to happen. Um, so that needs to be done. Countries really need to do an assessment of what are the, the sectors, the constraints, the issues, the what is the landscape of women's and men's um, activities in key climate sectors or the, or the way that women and men use different parts of um, climate-related industry or services and what are the implications. So that needs to be done at the national level and then brought down to the local level as well so that local policymakers can understand what needs to be done. There's also a huge gap. There's a huge gap in financing for scaling up, particularly for women farmers. So women farmers, women around the world, particularly in the developing world, have very little access to credit, to loans, um, to the ability to buy fertilizer or to buy improved seeds. So there really needs to be um, 
innovative, creative work, there needs to be attention paid to the fact that women are farmers in their own right, women are worth investing um, in this area, and really, you know, so many women farmers are not being reached right now that if the FAO has estimated that if women farmers, if the gender gap in access to resources and services between men farmers and women farmers were to be closed, then global food production could increase by about 10%, and um, there would be 150 or so million fewer hungry people in the world. So this is a huge important gap. Finance is really important part of it, but also information to women, um, the ability to, as we said, make control, make decisions about access and make decisions about the use of resources for their farming um, are really important. Social, s some of the social kind of concerns or social issues around CSA and the empowerment of women uh, you know, it's it's difficult to for women in some areas to break through in terms of being able to make their own decisions about the proceeds of their work or the types of work that they do. So in many of the studies that we do with households around what is the family, um, what is the family activities around agriculture, what do you do, who does what, who makes the decisions, generally what we find is that both uh, women and men feel they make the decisions, but men tend to think that they are the they do it without women's input. And so, you know, what does that say? What does that say for women's voice in the household? What does it say when men feel that they are less if they discuss things with their wife or are seen to be discussing things with their wife? What does that say? That's a big, big social barrier that really does need to be overcome. In some, in some cases, you find that when women have improved activities that are generating increased income, then men will feel they are more important and come to have more participation in that activity, whether for good or for bad, and sometimes take it over. And so there does need to be an understanding of how do you um, empower women or how do you work with women without um, you know, alienating people in their community, alienating their husbands, their family members. And really my, my approach to that is that you work with not individuals, but you work with the communities. In other words, you work with women's organizations, you work with existing organizations and uh, platforms in the community, and so that you're not just in picking out a woman out of a household to target her, but that you're working with an aspect of the community and, and strengthening its ability to speak for itself, to engage in, their, in the activities they're already engaging in. Um, and you work within the community structures that are already there if possible. And I'm a firm believer in women organizing. You know, women organizing has, has brought many good things to our lives, to all of our lives. And I think that we really need to support women to be able to organize in order to speak their own mind, to express themselves, whether they uh, want to do it with, their, with the men in their lives or whether they want to do it separately is, is their choice. Uh, so that's my, my approach to this. And how do you think, uh, as a research center, how do you think we can support you in, in doing so? Oh, okay. Right. Well, you know, you can, you can support us in 
our analysis of what's working and what's not working and and the gender implications of different things and you can also support us by understanding that there's no simple answer um, in some cases increased credit to women will be helpful in other cases increased credit to women will mean that their husbands will actually take the money and use it in their own way so we need to understand that the answers are nuance, nuanced I personally believe that we need to work with existing structures um, that you know we all talk a lot about empowerment and transformation but that's not for us to come into a community and enforce but we need to work with groups existing groups women's organizations local policymakers um, local youth groups to um, help them understand what they want, what their options are, increase their knowledge so that they can make their own decisions and choices. So I really think that's an important aspect of what to do. Um, and I think to help us spread the, success, the successes to other parts of Latin America and other parts of the world to help us scale out um, what we know works or what we think has a high possibility of having success in, in different contexts. And helping us find that basic set of um, elements that are translatable across in different contexts. And you know, we may need more than one. We may need it two or three or a couple of different templates or a couple of different approaches that will fit in different, um, in different contexts. But to understand that it's not simple but that we have we have some idea of, of some directions that can be taken to bring change, <laughs> to bring some positive change, and to you know give us the benefit of your experience with your partners and your research. Because IDRC, I know from many years of having interacted with IDRC, there's a lot of experience and knowledge in the institution. So it will be great to um, be able to collaborate with you on that and to improve both of our increase both of our bodies of knowledge. We, we hope we can uh, <laughs> we can do so. <laughs> do the same. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs>